You're now locked into Zone 32. Max Mikado, Grant Durflinger, Jake Miller. Only on NeutralZoneInfraction.com. NCI Properties. And ladies and gentlemen, we're back at it again. Episode 2 of Zone 32, the All 32 podcast presented to you by NeutralZone Infraction. Check us out online at NeutralZoneInfraction.com and on Twitter at NCI Properties. It's Max Mikado here along with Grant Durflinger and Jake Miller. Fellas, say what's up. Hey! Hello there. What's good, baby? Like, if that didn't sound like the beginning of a screen movie, I don't know what did. But welcome. We got some fun today. That was interesting. Anyways, see, this is what I have to deal with as the editor-in-chief here. You know, I got to corral this whole merry band of misfits, and I I, I don't know what I got myself into. Probably going to turn in my resignation notice right after this. But we still got an episode to record and a show to put on. So, first up, breaking news. The fifth overall pick of the 2020 NFL Draft, Tua Tagovailoa. And I'm sure he's the fifth overall pick. I don't have a fact check in front of me, but we're just going to roll with it anyway because this is live, live, live. But Tua time is live in Miami. He has been named the starter for the Miami Dolphins following their bye week. He will debut against the L.A. Rams in week eight on November 1st at home at Hard Rock Stadium with a uh, minimum capacity of guys. What is it? 40 percent, something to that effect. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. But yes, it is indeed to a time now in Miami. Ryan Fitzpatrick led the team to a 3-3 three and three record, good for second place in the AFC East. So the question that I have for you before I interject with my thoughts is, was this the right time for to a time? Grant, I'll start with you. I mean, look, you know, if you're going to do it, you know, you might as well do it when you have a guy that's in, you know, in your locker room like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, we all saw, you know, the pre-talks that went around today that he was, you know, mentioned before that when they made the pick, you know, he knew it was evident that, um, you know, it, it was going to happen at some point. I don't really know of an even better person to have in that situation because what's going to happen is, is let's say, you know, they are in competition right now for their division. Let's say that, you know, maybe Tua comes out, he stumbles a little bit, you know, maybe they win a game, maybe they lose, pick up another win down the road, whatever it may be. But you got a guy in Ryan Fitzpatrick that can just jump in immediately and completely cater that offense and move the ball down the field. Um, he's definitely got a tough matchup coming up. I mean, the Rams, you know, that in, that interior front is something else. I mean, Aaron Donald right now leading the NFL in sacks was seven and a half. And, I mean, the dude's unblockable. So, I mean, you know, I feel like there's going to be a lot of pistol, a lot of shotgun, you know, a lot of misdirection, try to keep him off balance a little bit. Um, but you know what? It, it, he got his feet wet. Um, he was two for two. It, granted, it was nine yards. But, you know, getting that confidence out, you know, getting the snaps, getting the environment around him, you know, you know, yeah, the fans are limited, but, you know, he got a good start, you know, he got a good kind of come in moment. Um, but the way that that locker room's kind of rallying around him and, you know, especially Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, I think that it's going to be good for his confidence. And I'm, I'm really interested to in what he does. Um, I don't really think that there's really a time frame. I think it was a flow of the, the season, a flow of how the offense was moving, um, just to kind of get him in. Um, and he's been really great about, you know, just waiting for his chance. And I really think that he's the type of dude mentally that um, that could make movement. I mean, in the draft, I personally um, thought that the Dolphins should have gotten Herbert. Um, I thought that he was maybe more intangible for that type of offense. And, you know, as far, I, I see a lot out of Herbert as far as being a pro quarterback and having a sustainable career. Uh, but Tua, you know, there's nothing wrong. It, it was not a knock on him at all. But 
Um, I, I think that he's got that gamer mentality, you know, that game breaking mentality to where he's a competitor. Um, he, that's the kind of guy you want in competitive games, close games, comeback games, those types of things, because he's going to grind it out and make people around him better. Now, Jake, the we're going to take the fantasy hat off for a second, even though you're a resident fantasy expert here at NZI. Just from a pure coaching and strategy perspective, is this the right move at this time? And, and again, I'll follow up my thoughts after the fact, but what do you think? I'd say yes. And I say that not because Ryan Fitzpatrick hasn't been playing bad because he's been actually very good. He's, if I remember correct, QB5 or QB6 in terms of fantasy points scored among quarterbacks. He's right up there with Rodgers and Kyler Murray. But that being said, I recall in the Fox telecast for the Dolphins-Jags game, they were talking to Ryan Fitzpatrick about Tua, and he said he's a start. He's going to be a starter until Tua is ready. And I'm guessing... Two is ready. It's that it's that simple. Once they made that decision, he says I'm ready. They embraced it. Fitz is stepping down. Two is taking over. It's gonna create a certain dynamic for that offense. As far as Tua is fantasy value, I'll buy into damn near anybody who's a running quarterback just because it's the cheap points. We saw on Monday night, Kyler Murray threw the ball like garbage, but he ran all over the Cardinal. Not Cardinals, but he ran all over the the Cowboys. So altogether, he finished with 28 fantasy points. So, I mean, I would start Tua, especially in a good matchup, maybe not in a couple weeks because doesn't doesn't necessarily matter about your strategy against the Rams if you can't block Aaron Donald. You have to triple team that man just to keep him in check. Yeah, I hear you. So (laughs) I'm conflicted here because there's two schools of thought with a rookie quarterback. The old mentality was that you don't, start a rookie and you let him learn on the bench because you don't want to ruin his development early and that still holds true to to a degree but then you see guys who step in from day one who succeed right off the bat and i wonder if that's becoming the rule rather than the exception but to wrap up this point my my thought is still that you don't switch your starting quarterback mid-season especially when you're in contention unless you have a couple of things in mind one, you think it's a lost season, which I don't think the Dolphins do. But two, you also think that the guy who's under center just plain isn't good enough. Either he's not playing well enough or you think he's not going to get you over the hump, but the next man up will. So maybe, you know, Jake, you alluded to this. Maybe that's what they see in Tua, that he is ready for that next step. But again, it's a very risky boomer bust proposition with any quarterback. It doesn't matter who you are to switch your starter Midseason, very risky. Now, on the flip side, a team that, I, I I mean, they technically are at the bottom of the division, but they're the in the best division in football right now, the AFC North, the Bengals. They have no need to make this next move, but apparently wide receiver John Ross, the former ninth overall pick of 2017, he wants out of Cincinnati. Now, before we break down possible fits for Ross, let's take a look at some of the guys from that draft. We're talking Miles Garrett, Mitch Trubisky, which actually feels weird to put him in this list. Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Marlon Humphrey, Christian McCaffrey, Jamal Adams, Juju Smith-Schuster, Corey Davis, Chris Godwin, Mike Williams, Cooper Cup, Kenny Galladay, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Kareem Hunt, TJ Watt, Trey White, and Marshawn Lattimore. And that's just to name... The guys who have been starters for the past few years who have played at a Pro Bowl level, I'm out of breath reading that list. So enough of me. First off, let's flip the script. Jake, where do you think John Ross is going to go if Cincinnati grants this trade? As far as where he's going to go, 
That's a good question. I really can't prognosticate on that. But that being said, where he could fit, really anyone who could use a burner. If this was 2015 or 2016, I'd say bring him back, bring him over to Baltimore because that's how they used to build their receiving cores. Two burners on the outside and a big slot in the middle to get the easy points. But that being said, Kansas City would work because they love track stars. You got Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson and Nicole Hardman and Tyreek Hill. The Chargers had Travis Benjamin for a while. I'm actually not sure if they still do, but he'd he'd be a change of pace opposite Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. So either of those two places work off the top. The Eagles love track stars too, and a lot of those two of theirs went down with Rieger and then Deshaun Jackson. All right. Now, see, I didn't consider the Chargers. That's an interesting proposition. Now, Grant, going back to you, and I threw you off with that, didn't I, going out of sequence? I normally go off a better quarter. But, Grant, let's uh, let's consider this. If the Bengals were to make this trade, what does that say about how they feel about their wide receiver core? And then we'll go back to the original question. Do you think that there is a team out there who's the best possible fit at this moment in a trade? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime that you have a guy that can t- take the top off of defense, I mean, it's a valuable asset, whether he gets the ball or not. You still have to honor that. Um, I mean, even looking back to that draft, you know, you name all those receivers, um, but the John Ross pick, yeah, he went ninth overall. Um, I feel like had he not broken Chris Johnson's record and ran a 4-2-2 at the combine, that was like a big Al Davis move. Like, he was probably late teens in the 20s in the first round so he ran that 40. Because uh, I'd seen him frequently in the mock to the Ravens uh, that year. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, you still have to catch the football. You know, you still have to fit with an offense. You have to run, you know, different offenses schematically run different types of, uh, of route trees. So, you know, if you can't fit into that style of route tree or maybe you can't block in certain formations, like that's going to alleviate your ability to be on the field. Um, you have to be able to be an asset to the team. Uh, and I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of young, hungry receivers in Cincinnati. I think they're a young team. If they get that offensive line solidified, I think they could be, you know, an up-and-coming team. I mean, Joe Burrow getting hit 16, 18 times a game is absolutely absurd. Um, and the fact that he's still producing and keeping that team in games is something else. But, you know, back to John Ross, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you want to stretch the ball. You want to keep defenses on their heels. Like I said, the guy ran a 4-2-2. He's a burner. Um, but he's had health issues. He's still on his rookie contract coming up for a deal here soon. Um, so it's, you know, if, if you're going to trade him, now's the time. Um, you don't have to worry about, um, you know, hitting the free agency spot. You can at least get something for him, whether it's a sixth round pick, fifth this year, seventh next year, whatever. Um, but as far as fits, um, I, I, I would look to somebody like almost um, like the Seahawks, um, I would look, you know, maybe towards the the Packers who've had some receiver injuries and need somebody to kind of stretch the field to open up more for um, Devontae Adams. But, you know, somebody that, that, that you know, it's, it's going to be a low cost, low, you know, low risk, high reward type thing. So, you know, could he fit? Could he not? I think, you know, multiple teams could use him. But some of the teams that kind of stand out to me would be the Seahawks Packers, maybe in the AFC. Um, looking towards the Colts because T.Y. Hilton's not really doing much as far as like they want him to do as far as the vertical passing game. Um, but, you know, looking to open up because they like to use their tight ends a lot. So, you know, open up more of the middle of the field, getting Jonathan Taylor involved, you know, running screen passes out of the backfield for him to kind of keep those safeties honorable. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there is a fit. 
whether it happens, who knows, but I think it's kind of weird sometimes when management publicly does that. Cause then you get in the psyche of the player and I don't agree with that. I would be pissed if somebody was like, Oh yeah, we're just going to tell the papers that yeah, you're on the trade block, but you know, haven't really talked to me about it yet. And I think that's kind of, um, you know, I, I wish well for him. I kind of hope he gets a fresh start, stays healthy and maybe kind of proves them wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, he, he could be an asset to a team that has a vertical passing game for sure. Now, staying in the AFC North, going from a team who I personally think is better than their record to a team that I don't believe is as good as their record, the Cleveland Browns, they uh, had a chance to sit at the big boys' table for once and failed miserably, dropping uh, a heavily uh, hyped contest on Sunday, 38-7 to to the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, to the point where Case Keenum took over in the final minutes of the game for Baker Mayfield, and I wonder if it really was because of the rib injury or Maybe Baker is feeling a little sore after the beating he just took. But regardless, question I pose to you guys, Grant, I will start with you. Do you believe the Browns were pretenders or was this just another bad day that every team has? Well, first of all, as much as this hurts me to do, I have to start out because I, you know, I honored that. But I was wrong about the Steelers. I'm sorry um, to my guys. All it hurts to say. But um, look, at the end of the day, on paper, the way the Browns were playing, I thought that they were going to go into Hines and smack them around. Man, was I wrong. Steelers came out balling. You know, they set the tone on defense right away, pick six by Minka. I mean, that's going to, you know, kill anything right off the bat. Um, you know, I, I think they are pretenders, man. I, I, I just don't think that they have it. They got all the talent in the world. They show the spark. Then you get these moments where it's like in these games and they don't win the games they play bad. And that's some of the stuff going on in Baltimore right now is that, you know, fans are all, all pissed off and they're like, oh, man, like this team, you know, we're, we're playing like crap. OK, we're five and one. Yeah, I get it. I agree. I've never been mad after a win, but I was on Sunday because I think there's so much to fix. And the thing is, is the difference in that is when you play that bad and you win, you're a championship caliber team. But when you play that bad and you can't even be in contention in the game, that speaks volumes on you and your coaching staff, on your leaders, everything. Um, I've tried to give Baker the benefit of the doubt, but man, I think that dude's just brutal. I don't know if he's in his head, all the commercials got to him trying to put covers in all the seats in the stadium. I don't know. I didn't even know it was supposed to rain that day. So he's probably freaking out. But, you know, I, I don't think that they are going to be – I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's the toughest division in football right now. And, you know, they got to play Steelers again. they got to play Ravens again. they still got to play the Bengals. You know, Bengals are fully capable of beating them. I mean, and it's like you could look at the Browns just completely falling apart. And I think if they end up anywhere around the 6 and 10, 7 and 9 range, I think that there's going to be a lot of players moved, a lot of contracts moved. Um, and, and, you know, with the Bengals game coming up, you know – I would not be surprised at all if, you know, Joe Burrow came out and made some noise. I mean, if you isolate Miles Garrett, I mean, the defense is is, is what it is. I mean, the, it's, it's the Browns. At the end of the day, as much as we say that year in and year out, the Browns are going to brown, man. Now, Jake, same question to you. Do you believe that the Browns are still the Browns, or do you believe that this was just a one-off? Or I guess to rephrase it, much like the Dark Knight, do you believe in Cleveland? I think both things can be true at once. One, the Browns are not a contender for to win the AFC North, but they are a contender for the sixth or seventh seed in the wild card. I'll put them right up there with the Colts, maybe the Pats who just had a step back. So, I mean, I can't rule them out. I really can't rule out, out the Browns for that fact. 
Not to mention the schedule isn't very difficult. I think three teams out of the North might wind up with double-digit wins. Maybe Cleveland winds up 9-7. and seven, But that will put them right in contention for the 6th or 7th seed. So I absolutely believe they're still contenders. Maybe not long-term, maybe not Super Bowl contenders, but they'll contend for a wild-card spot. They have a great running game. They'll get Nick Chubb back. Eventually, their back end will get healthy. He, I believe, was two of their linebackers might be on IR. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I but either way, yes. their defense will get a little healthier and they'll play a little better. Baker needs to play better for certain. But even then, coming into that game, he was hurt through most of the week. I'm not sure how many games he practiced last week. Jarvis Landry only practiced on Friday. OBJ left practice Thursday, didn't come back until Saturday until they figured out he didn't have COVID. So all things considered, this was an expected beatdown. Pittsburgh was going to do what they were going to do against them. And that being said, I'll even say Pittsburgh's a little overrated. I'll say it. No, they're fine. They're a good that, You say that like it's a shocking, you know, spicy hot take right there. But I think that's mild. I think Pittsburgh still is overrated. I think we'll find out as the season goes on that Ben Roethlisberger is not who he once was. So, you know, that that that's neither here nor there. That's for another time. Now to keep things. We'll get moving. more into that on Thursday or Friday. Exactly. We'll, we'll talk about that then. We'll, we'll we'll hit on we'll hit that later in the week. Trust us. We still have yep, some more, more to talk about. But we we got more show to go now to move things along a little bit. Let's go back to another team who we question whether or not they were pretenders, and that's the Buffalo Bills, who came into Monday with another rescheduled game due to COVID mania hitting the NFL, and they dropped a decisive nationally televised contest to the Kansas City Chiefs. So again, though the Chiefs are reigning Super Bowl champions, I felt this was a game that Buffalo had in its grasp, and they did not show up to play. Now, gentlemen, I'll start with you, Grant. Same question regarding the Bills. Are they pretenders this season? Um, I mean, no. I mean, they're 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 four and two right now, and they've dropped back to back games against two really tough teams. I mean, the Chiefs and the Titans and back to back games. Um, it's not prototypically a cakewalk. So, um, I would say yeah that they're still contenders. Um, especially for the fact that you know their division is suspect. I think the whole Cam Newton experience is starting to kind of show its head a little bit in New England. Um, you know, Jets of the Jets. I mean, their biggest competition for the Bills or for the Bills right now might be the Dolphins. Um, depending on what Tua does, you know, Dolphins defense looks pretty good right now. Um, you know, Xavier Howard's balling out. Byron Jones has allowed five catches for 40 yards in the season, no touchdowns. Like that's absurd. Um, you know, but as far as the Bills go, I mean, you know, they played bad football and, and they still were in the game the whole time against the Chiefs. You know, it was raining, whatever. I get it. But the Bills still don't even really have an identity themselves. Yeah, they want to sling it with Josh Allen, but um, the running game, they have no identity in the running game. They're just kind of tweaking it here and there just to, you know, hand the ball off to just trying to change a play from a run to a pass or vice versa. Um, I think they need to kind of settle in on that. The Bills are kind of known as a blue collar, you know, punching the mouth type of football team. Um, Josh Allen, tough guy, likes to run the ball. Um, but I, I feel like he made a lot of mistakes. He missed a lot of throws. You know, he's got those accuracy concerns. Um, but he's got to hit some of those throws. Um, he missed he missed some big throws. I think they just need to move the ball around a little bit. We all know it's a Stephon Diggs party out there. Um, but, you know, it's nice to see Cole Beasley show up a little bit, make some key catches, you know, that touchdown at the end. Um, but at the end of the day, defense didn't get off the field in third down. Um, and, and honestly, the Ravens struggled with that too against the Chiefs. And, you know, you have to be able to get off the field in third down. You got to contain Mahomes. You know what he's going to do. They're going to spread you out. They're going to send everybody on – deep crosses, um, 
you know, seam routes on the inside. They're going to leak the running back on the outside. And then they're just going to have Mahomes just kind of run out of the pocket. If he wants to pick up the six, seven yards, he's going to do it. And you got to be able to have somebody almost in a spy movement to be able to, to contain that. I mean, it's going to get figured out. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's part of the game. There's a lot of geniuses that, that you know, prepare for games. Um, but I feel like that they are still contenders. And I feel like they're going to kind of, pick themselves up. These two losses in a row to those types of teams that you have to compete in the playoffs with, I think might kind of, might've kind of woke them up a little bit. And I'm interested to see what they do um, coming up. Now, Jake, follow me here for a second. Cause I'm going to ask you a similar question, but phrased a little differently. So again, are the bills still contenders or are they pretenders, but more to the point, are they even as good as they were last season? Are they better? Or are they worse? Because you have to consider this same Buffalo squad more or less, under Sean McDermott, I mean, they were almost on a magical playoff run, even had a lead over the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs and then blew it supremely. So again, Jake, I ask you, are they contenders or pretenders? Are they better or worse than last year? I'll say they're contenders right now, especially given I don't trust anyone in the AFC to surpass them. We haven't seen anything of Tua yet. Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't going to be good enough to get the Dolphins over the nod. Unless they're getting Dan Marino back from 1984, the Dolphins aren't going to be better than the Buffalo Bills. Dolphins fans at me on Twitter. Your boy ain't scared. I'll tell you that right now. But that being said, as a team, the Bills might have been better last year. Their defense played a lot better. They had a better running game. Although, Although the caveat with that is the passing game wasn't as prolific last year as it was this year. Held credit Stefan Diggs coming through, John Brown in there for another season, Cole Beasley drafting Gabriel Davis. They can sling it now. They need to get right as far as base of just the blue collar nature of their team goes and the way Sean McDermott likes to call the game and like the way he calls his defense because he was a, a disciple under Jim Johnson originally with the Eagles. Then Johnson retires, he takes over the DC spot there and he still stays aggressive with blitzing. And all things considered, I think the Bills will win the East. There's no question to me about that. We'll see how far they go from there. When you mentioned Dan Marino, my immediately to my head was, hey, Ace, you got any more of that gum? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Laces out, Dan. Laces out. Now, we're going to segue a little bit from one East to the other, from the AFC to the NFC East. You like that little segue talking about the other Monday night game where the Dallas Cowboys were blown out by the Arizona Cardinals yet they're still on top of the NFC East at two and four now the reason why I want to touch on this guys I shared this with you earlier before we went on air uh, defector media formerly the real Deadspin, mentioned that no team has ever gotten into the playoffs with a worse record than seven and nine yet the Philadelphia Eagles could still go four eleven and one and win the division if every team in the NFC East splits their season series and they all lose their non-divisional games. And guys, we're on track for that. So, Grant, I'll start with you. Can it happen? Or better yet, will it happen? I mean, as a football fan, dude, this is bonkers. But the, like, I, as a football fan, I truly can't believe that that's going to happen. Like, There's no way that there's going to be a team that's going to get in the playoffs with that record. 4-11-1. Like... I thought the seven and nine years were bad when the uh, Rams won that playoff or that play-in game against the Saints. Or the, yeah, no, yeah, it's the Seahawks. Sorry, um, but no, I mean it's just like <laughs> how you know their entire conference is five, eighteen, and one. 
you've been six weeks and you don't even have six wins in your entire conference or division. I'm sorry. But it's like, man, it's like, you know, who's going to do what? Cowboys out here giving up 218 points in six games. What? 218 points in six. You got to score 40 points a game to win on that team. I don't even even give up that much in Madden. Come on now. No. Yeah. I mean, look, you got to put it on rookie mode and you run all streaks, you know, maybe hit a little swing pass, you know, (laughs) but, you know, you look at it and it's like, you know, who's going to come out of that? The Eagles, you know. They're so banged up. I mean, so are the Cowboys. Cowboys have, what, three, four pro bowlers off the roster if you include Travis Frederick's retirement. I mean, they have so much talent on that team. The unfortunate injury to Dak, you know, I appreciate the team's fighting. Zeke's not helping them out. Dude's fumbling like he, he ate popcorn before everything, like Brucey said. But, you know, it's like, man, you just you look at that division and you just wonder who's going to come out of it. Um, I think the Eagles, as they start to get a little healthier, um, I think they're going to put it together a little bit more just because if I look at all the coaches in the NFC East, you know, I'm going to take Peterson over anybody else uh, as far as preparation for the games, you know, um, and, you know, Carson Wentz, it is what it is with him, but you know, he's a feasible quarterback. He can put the push the ball down the field. Miles Sanders is an absolute stud. Um, you know, Travis Fulgham's been playing really well. Uh, people knowing that they have to isolate on him, but, you know, he's a big, physical, quick receiver, runs great routes. Um, but as far as that that division goes, I don't know. I can't honestly say I know who's going to come out of that division. No, no, no. Um, you you got to you gotta make a decision. You got to pick. Do you, do you I'm going to have to stick happen. with the Eagles. I have to say the Eagles just because as much as I want to believe in the Red Rocket – the problem is, is not him. When I watched that game on Monday night, it was miserable because his thing in Cincinnati was, is he can push the ball down the field. You know, he throws the spots, you know, keep the receivers moving. The same types of receivers that he has in Dallas are the same build of receivers that he had in Cincinnati. Not saying that the qualities, I mean, A.J. Green is A.J. Green in his prime. But, you know, when you have somebody like C.D. Lamb in the slot, Mari Cooper on the outside, Michael Gallup is severely underrated. <laughs> Trade him to the Ravens. Um, and you just have to, like, look at the side of it of, you know, let the guy throw the ball. All they ran yesterday were arrow routes, quick outs, um, you know, stick routes, zigs, like they kept the ball with, I don't think he threw the ball farther than 10 yards down the field to the third quarter. So it's like, you know, don't hurt the guy. You're still in contention. You're leading your division. Don't sit there and cater to him. Like you have to bottle feed him. He's a veteran quarterback that has won in this league and won a very tough division in this league and been to the pro bowl and been to the playoffs. So it's like, don't treat him like he's some undrafted free agent coming off the bench and you got to throw him in and you hope and pray he's going to do something. Um, But I do see that the Eagles are going to, I do think the Eagles do win the division, but I think it's going to come close. Um, I'd like to see the Cowboys win the division personally, but I think the Eagles might come out on top. Jake, same question to you. Four, eleven, and one. Is it gonna happen? And two, who do you still have winning the division, regardless? Four, eleven, and one isn't gonna happen. The winner is gonna be seven and nine, maybe eight and eight. Actually, no, I'm gonna go eight and eight, and I'm gonna say the Eagles going into the season. I thought the Cowboys, no Dak, no slack from me. I ain't giving it to them anymore. Give me Philly. They got fighting them in spite of having a damn near practice roster squad outside of the defensive line because those grown ass men are real. They, they they dominate the trenches. They can get after you. Ooh, Slay is still playing pretty well. Not as well as he was in Detroit, but he's still playing at a fairly high level. The linebackers are bad, but, I mean, it's the NFC East. Outside of Jalen Smith, 
and Leighton Vander Esch, who's on injured reserve, the AFC East kind of has bad linebackers anyway. So all things considered, give me the Eagles. I ain't sweating it. They're going to get Lane Johnson back. They're going to get Dallas Goddard back. Maybe they get Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson back. But even if, even if, they, even if they don't, they'll be fine with Travis Fulgham. Hell, he might start over one of those two if or when they come back because he's been playing at such a high level with Wentz. Miles Sanders is good. Boston Scott's not bad either. So all things considered, I'll take Philly. Carson Wentz is the best quarterback in that division. Doug Peterson is head and shoulders above all those coaches. So give me Philly. No question. All right. Now speaking of the NFC East, so for our last topic of the night, Thursday night football, we've got the Giants visiting the Philadelphia Eagles. Now looking back to last Sunday, you have to wonder, did Carson Wentz do enough against the Ravens to save his job? Because there's still a very vocal contingency that wants Jalen Hurts under center. But I guess alongside that conversation, we have to ponder, are the Giants really that bad? Grant, I will start with you. Let's dissect this Thursday night game. Yeah, they're bad. They're real bad. Um, no matter how beat up the Eagles are, I think that they're going to, um, I think they're going to win this game pretty handily. Uh, like you mentioned just briefly uh, about the Eagles defensive line. Um, I think that their line is, you know, they're monsters up front, but you know how I think they're good, but I have so many concerns about the Ravens interior offensive line that I, I kind of want to wash with it. But um, the Giants, man, they just they look bad. I mean, they can't they can't get anything put together. Um, and Eagles showed fight against the Ravens. I mean, Ravens got up, we're celebrating, you know, we were up big and it became this whole thing. And then all of a sudden you start getting that, oh crap moment. Oh crap. And it's like that, that, that meme where, you know, it's like, it, as it goes, like the, the guy shaking his head with his eyes, but it's like, man, it's uh, who could win that game. You got one in five versus one, four and one. Um, the Giants, they have no real identity on defense. They're a younger team. They have been playing pretty well. Devontae Freeman surprisingly looked pretty good recently. As good as – I mean, better than I expected from him at least. Not saying he's a Pro Bowl caliber back right now. But um, I think that the Eagles win that game. Giants did just beat the Washington team. But, you know, Kyle Allen is garbage. Like, hot doo-doo butter. And – you look at that game and you just kind of think, you know, that's one of those games we really can't gauge how good that team is because it was such a sloppy game that, you know, you don't know what you're going to get out of that. That's one of those games. If you're sitting there, you're going to bet on any game in the NFL. I guarantee nobody would bet on that game because you just don't know. I mean, parlays. Yeah, probably. But um, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take the Eagles. I think that, you know, they got a huge, even though they lost to the Ravens, I think they got a huge confidence boost by that comeback. Play call on the two-point conversion. Ravens were very fortunate that that was a stupid play call. Um, but I think that they, even with a loss, you can get confidence out of a loss um, because of what they're working with. And I, I think that you, they come out and win. Thursday night games are weird, though. You know, I could say that the Giants come out and smoke them 27 to 13 or something. So, you know, hey, mark that down just in case. But – yeah, I think I'm going to take the Eagles. I'm going to take the Eagles. I'm, I'm going to take the Eagles 28 to 14. All right, 28 to 14. Now, Jake, what about you? What do you, what do you think for Thursday night? Oh, the Giants aren't winning that damn game. Come on now. I have a, I have barely a, a little more respect for the Giants than I do the Jets, but the Giants are also very bad. I have little to no respect for that team. I mean, who do you have? You have, Dan, you have Daniel Jones who, who fumbles. Even more than Zeke Elliott does. 
The receivers are all right, I guess. Who is it? Old Golden Tate, young Darius Slayton. Well, I like Slayton, but nonetheless, Evan Ingram ain't what he was in his rookie year when he was a good player. The offensive line's bad. I don't know who's on the defensive line other than Jabril, not defensive line, but the defense other than Jabril Peppers and maybe James Bradbury. I'm, I'm not picking the Giants. The Eagles, one, they did enough against the Ravens. The problem was Carson Wentz has nobody around him. Here's the crazy thing. I didn't realize this at the time, but going into that game, the Eagles had three of those three starters who came in on the training camp roster off a of training camp that were projected starters start and play on Sunday. They finished the game with two, just Jason Kelsey and Carson Wentz. I mean, what, what else is there to say? Like Wentz has basically nobody around him. If you give Carson Wentz that Cowboys receiving core, that's a world beater. That's a much better team. But of course they don't. I don't think they're going to need to worry about that with the Giants. They're going to win, win handily 23 to six. Daniel Jones is going to have three turnovers. That's what I'm calling. That's a very ballsy prediction. Now, before we wrap up, you know what? We can't neglect Ravens flock. What, you know, our, our loyal listeners here from Ravens Nation. Let's talk a little bit about this past Sunday with the, the Eagles and the Ravens game. Now, of course, Baltimore at one point was going to run away with the game, but then for whatever reason, you know, there's the, there's the, almost that, that air of a trap game where Philly almost came back to win and came within two of a victory, if not for just, I would say, sheer luck at the very end. Grant, I'll start with you. Uh, should we be concerned about Baltimore moving forward after the bye week? I don't think we should, but I think there's things we should be concerned about that when we play top end teams that it's going to be a problem. Um, Complacency is a big problem. You know, you don't go up that big with that type of defense and that firepower and offense and let a team like the Eagles that beat up come back on you. I mean, that, we had, we had, what was that clip on Twitter earlier? It was like, so I forgot who it was that shared it, but it, it was we were running a pulling, we were running a pulling guard and dude trips over his feet and falls on his face and blows the play up with JK running like. I think it was Tyree Phillips that, that fell, but it's like, man, like, like you can't do that type of stuff. Like this is stuff. I mean, yeah, training camp, whatever, but this is basic footsteps. This is fundamental football, like those types of things. I don't like that. We were up so big and then let off the gas a little bit. I think we should have stayed on it. Um, I still don't like the, the lack of identity with the running game. I, I, you know, it was good to see Lamar have a spark, you know, get a big touchdown run, boost his confidence up a little bit with that. But, you know, Mark Ingram went down. You know, they're saying it was a high ankle sprain. You know, he should be back, you know, with the bye week and everything. But, you know, J.K. got some touches. Um, he had some spark. You know, he didn't really have much to work with. I mean, like I said earlier, um, the interior line was getting completely blown up. So, I mean, it, it's hard to gauge that. And that forces Lamar to throw more. So, you know, receivers, tight ends, you know, they were getting open. Um, but it's still it, – nobody looks comfortable. And it's weird because – everything was clicking so bad but then if you look at the stats of everything compared to last year you know it's 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 neck even with the team and with Lamar so it's it, it's one of those things where I'm I'm okay and like I'd mentioned earlier in the podcast that you know good teams win bad so you know the fact that they've been playing like that fans are ticked off even with wins that's a that's you know that's a light at the end of the tunnel that just shows you that when they start clicking that's a dangerous football team um, I do think that the Ravens are a bona fide receiver away. 
I'm not saying they need to go out. I always joke with the Julio Jones thing. I mean, realistically, he's not going to be able to fit in our cap. I mean, well, there is no cap, but it's just not a move that I see us making. But, you know, even somebody that look at like Marvin Jones or, um, you know, I don't really like the moves for the Tennessee or the the Texans receivers that I've been seeing. Um, but, you know, Mike Williams is a possibility to look at, you know, somebody like that that's at the end of the rookie contract that's going to be due for a new contract. Catch him at the end of the rookie year. Let him uh, come in. He's a big high point receiver, 50-50 baller, physical guy, blocks, you know, does everything that we don't have right now on the outside that we are expecting Miles Boykin to have. The thing that is going around now with him and Lamar, um, it's it's it looks like he doesn't know the plays either that, or he doesn't know the audibles. They're saying he couldn't hear and this and that, but it happens too much. I mean, it's been at least once a week that Lamar has him on a big third down or something. And he ends up running a go when he's supposed to break it off or it's an option route. And he has to watch the positioning of the coverage or the safety to break it off. And he's not doing it. Those types of things can't happen in year two. If you didn't do them in year one, why they happen in year two, like the guy, I want him to do well. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm wishing for him to do well. Um, but I think the Ravens do need that type of player. I think that they might have gotten a little shell-shocked with the Philly game. Um, hopefully that will come up a little bit. But I want to give a shout-out to Joker. That dude is a flat-out baller. That's one of my favorite Ravens. And the way that guy plays, I love his game. You know, attacking the line of scrimmage. Um, he's not afraid to put his nose anywhere against anybody. And that's the type of player that just it just projects the play like a Raven mantra. And, and, you know, I think that dude's going to be special personally. Now, Jake, how are you feeling after watching? Uh, well, I would say that was probably one of the ugliest Ravens wins I think I've seen in the past decade, uh, especially in this 25th anniversary season. But uh, how are you feeling, bud? It was kind of funny. When we were up 24 to 6, I started not paying attention. I was paying more attention to Red Zone. Same. All of a sudden, I start to see out of the corner of my eye the Eagles come back. I'm like, hold up. What, what are we doing here? Stop bullshitting. Who who the frick is Jason Kroom? I've never heard of that guy. Who do you, he probably worked at the RVs before Jason coming to Kroom catch passes. Sounds like a venereal disease, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, he really does. But even but even so, I'm sitting there like, <laughs> come on, man. Then Miles Sanders breaks off that run. He fumbles forward, and they get the lucky touchdown, courtesy of Ortega Whiteside recovering in the end zone. So that was a fluke. I'll say that much. They Now, the Ravens got away with some things, like the third down missed John Hightower because he dropped the ball. That, that would have been six had he caught it and just kept running. So all things considered, they they had a few – they dodged a few bullets, just like in the Miles Sanders drop in the end zone. But even so, the there are concerns, especially along the interior offensive line. They're not playing as well as they were a year ago, really the line as a whole, to be honest. But all things considered – that's what they're using this bye week for. Figure out who are the best five up front. I'm thinking maybe McCarry is going to be the one to take over at right guard. If not, may, yeah, that's what I'm thinking really, realistically. And you have to short, you have to share that up because the Steelers are coming. I say, I know I said they're overrated, but even that being said, you got to deal with blocking Stefan Tewitt and and Karen Hayward. And they'll they will wreck any and every game plan you have if you cannot block them. Doesn't matter about TJ Watt or Bud Dupree. If you can't block that interior, you can't step up in the pocket. If you can't step up at the pocket, those two will get at, those two will get you on the strip sack. They'll beat your tackles off the edge. So that's worrisome. As far as the whole season goes, 
I think there's to me, I think they're still going to win the North. I'll say it. I said it once and I'll say it again. I think they'll, we'll recap this later, but for now I'll say they'll beat Pittsburgh in, in week eight, maybe Thanksgiving. That won't be the same, but that being said, that'll be for, that will be for a podcast a month from now, but all things considered, there are things to be concerned about, but at the same time, I think they'll figure them out. They've earned the benefit of the doubt. I love the idea of trading for a Marvin Jones or a Mike Williams. They need a big-bodied receiver on the outside to make plays. Really, they need a number one receiver. Doesn't matter your size, but those two would be very good complements to what they have in Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews. But they need to get the running game going. Not not with not just a Lamar. I mean with the backs because they're getting a decent per carry average overall, which is surprising to me because it looked like everyone was getting tackled in the backfield on a regular basis. But they need to be consistent with it. They need to consistently get push up front because that's what will open everything up for you. Run the ball, get the play action going. Lamar will beat you with his legs, but if he has a clean pocket, he'll pick you apart. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind about that. We've seen the flashes from him last year and even in his rookie year when he was running around like a headless chicken, just playing ball. He had those moments where when he's able to set his feet, he drives the ball perfectly. He throws an accurate ball. If his feet aren't set, if he's running around, it's not is not conducive to success always. Like he gets a little, little jittery, and that happens to every quarterback if they're not comfortable in the pocket. We saw that happen to Joe after he got paid. <laughs> we did. No, I, I, I agree with you, Jake. I'm not so much concerned about the division in general. I do think the Ravens still win the North. Um, and in fact, I'm not even really concerned about a loss to Pittsburgh in Week 8, so long as it's not a blowout. Now, if we're talking uh, two possessions or more, yeah, I'd be very concerned we hit the panic button even at, with 5-2 and two on the season at that point. But yeah, for right now, I'm, I'm not sweating it because, again, we don't, we this is unusual and that we've not had a preseason so it's almost as if the first four or five games of the season are kind of uh, every team's excuse to work all the kinks out and just like in preseason you see some upstarts you know walk away with a decent record through those four or five games um you know it's the same thing here i'm not saying i'm not to, i'm not discrediting any of the players and teams who've done well thus far but at the same time we won't really know what these teams are like until we get deeper into the season so weeks 8 9 10 11 and unfortunately by then for some teams it might be too late but it is what it is that's the nature of the season so can we, can we also agree that we hope we never see a shit show like 12 penalties for 132 yards again oh never never and that reminds me of the billick days especially in 07 when the team led the league in penalties uh, but that that's neither here nor there we we don't want to revisit those days cuz then we have to dig up the grave of Kyle Bowler but you know that being said so I appreciate you guys again. We uh, This has been a wrap on episode two of Zone 32. Thank you guys for listening, of course. Now, we will be back later in the week with a preview of this weekend's upcoming games, as well as a little bit of discussion. Again, this, this NFC East fiasco coming out of Thursday Night Football. Be sure to subscribe on all your major podcast platforms, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Radio FM, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time, of course, for another edition of Zone 32. But again, this has been Max Picado, Grant Durflinger, and Jake Miller. NeutralZoneInfraction.com is where it's at. Check us out on Twitter at NZI Properties. Thanks again for listening. Have a great night. See ya!
Yay! Yeah, yeah. Max, Grant, Jake, Zone 32, only on NeutralZoneInfraction.com. NZI Properties.